seem like yesterday we were having Christmas. <coughs> but um, so as we come to this last beatitude today, I was reminded of something that happened to me in high school. I was in speech and debate all four years of high school. And I had a teacher by the name of John Wasserberger. Even his name sounds kind of intimidating. What made it even more intimidating was John Wasserberger weighed about 350 pounds and uh, wore sunglasses through every class that I was in. He, he, every, and the only time his sunglasses came off was when he was mad at us about something. And we had a really good speech and debate team but it was because he was such a hard driver and uh, a demanding coach. But one of the things I remember was that we would often have uh, special training sessions in that salon at nighttime. We'd have, we'd have different fundraisers that we were required to help participate in to raise funds for our club. And uh, inevitably, he and I think he did it on purpose, actually, for my sake, but the church that I was part of during high school, you know, it was back in the days when you had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, almost every night of the week. And he would plan these training sessions on Wednesday night. And I'd go, Mr. Wasserberger, I can't do that. He goes, and at first it was like, well, why not? I said, well, I go to church. And uh, I, I can't miss. So then what it became was, as he would announce training, this Wednesday is set for the draw. If I'm sure to draw, you got to go to church. And he would always, and I think he's looking at me because I couldn't tell, but he'd turn his head towards me and draw. You probably can't do that, right? Every, every time. And so I'd experience this level of persecution for my faith and for my commitment to church. And I don't want to pretend at all that that is the kind of persecution that people around the world are going through for their faith. But when we think about persecution, it comes in all shapes and sizes for all of us. And what we need to think about this morning is that um, none of us want to be persecuted, and none of us choose necessarily to be persecuted, although sometimes we don't have any other choice. But to put ourselves in a position where we are persecuted for our faith and for what we stand for in terms of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we want to think about that and recognize that it doesn't matter how small or how intense, persecution is part of the package. It's part of what happens when we follow Jesus. It's interesting that this comes at the end of the Beatitudes. It's like, yes, 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 and then you will be persecuted. Oh, it's the result of what happens. And so let's look at the Beatitudes, all, all eight of them this morning. We'll read through these verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then the last one, which is actually three different verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to notice something, first of all. Um, If we could bring it to the first beatitude, blessed are poor in spirit. Notice it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then if we go to this last beatitude, uh, blessed, um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then Jesus repeats again the phrase, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this series of statements and beatitudes that begin with a posture of humility to step into the way of Jesus, to step into the way of God. And when we step into this position of humility, we're promised that we will receive the kingdom of heaven. And we receive every aspect of what it represents. But part of the package is the result of stepping into this place of humility, this poverty of spirit, mourning of our sins, meekly submitting to the will of God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, bearing the fruit of mercy, mercy and the purity of heart, and cultivating peace in our relationship with God and others, the result is we end up getting persecuted for our faith. But the promise is, just as surely as we humble ourselves before God, we get the kingdom of heaven, we're going to get the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in this last beatitude, Jesus promises we're not only going to get the kingdom of heaven, but it's going to come with a reward package. And so I want us to think about that together because we get to pursue these with passion because we will never get enough of them. We will, we will never realize on this earth until we get to heaven what the rewards are really like. None of it's going to be wasted. I think John Piper has a book called None of It is Wasted. Anything that we've done, anything that we do to step into the way of Jesus, everyone, be assured with this reality. None of it's going to be wasted. And then we come to this aspect of persecution. And any time we get persecuted, it's never wasted. In fact, the early church, the disciples, would celebrate and count it such a privilege to be persecuted because they realized I'm being counted worthy to be persecuted for him. And if you think about it, really, if we're going to follow Jesus, where did Jesus end up? He ended up at the cross. And so if we're going to follow the same pathway, part of the package is to experience the persecution that represents picking up our cross to follow Him. And this last beatitude is different because it describes an outcome. And living like Jesus will cost us something, but in exchange for the cost, we gain everything in the package. So I want us to think about what what we would expect. Well, there's two outcomes that are described in this beatitude. We'll be persecuted by the, wor- the world, and then the other outcome, which is the better of the two, is we're going to have a great reward in heaven. But let's think about persecution. Persecution scripturally, if we think about the whole counsel of God and the whole package of scripture, it started... It started with the first brothers. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, Cain fought with his brother Abel and killed him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
till Abel was killed for righteousness' sake. Out of the gate, because of the problem of sin and brokenness in the world, out of the gate, the first family exercised persecution towards one another. And I think it's interesting, and I'll mention this a little bit more later, but it's interesting that it was in the family. It was brother to brother. And I know that when we think about persecution, we think about persecution coming from the outside. People that don't believe in the faith that are outside of the church. But let's recognize there's something that's very insidious that's happening. I think it's a demonic, it's a, it's a work of the enemy. Something that's insidious that's happening is more and more persecution is happening within the church. Because there's confusion in our world about what the gospel really is. And so when you stand up for the gospel, you can expect that you're going to experience a level of persecution. But there's this hall of fame of those that were persecuted, from Moses to Paul. Joseph was persecuted by his brothers. Moses was rejected by the people he led. Elijah persecuted by the queen. Nehemiah was opposed and defamed as he tried to help build the wall. Daniel was sent to the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace for their faith. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern. John the Baptist lost his head. Stephen was stoned. Peter and John were imprisoned. Paul, countless and relentless persecutions experienced in his life. Many, many times whipped, left, shipwrecked, stoned, left to die. To the congregation of Philippi, Paul wrote these words. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Everybody say, all right. That's really great. So encouraging. But it's what comes with the job description. It's what Peter talked about. First Peter chapter 4. As a common experience of believers, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think that's an amazing verse. Whenever you get insulted for your faith in Jesus, just stop and wait. And all of a sudden, the glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, everybody, we live in a country where, and we'll talk about this a little bit too, we live in a country where it's not common for us to experience the kind of persecution where we have to be afraid about meeting together. But we all realize that there are some pockets where it's getting less and less popular to be a believer, right? We all realize that's the case. But 
that's to be expected. That's part of the package that's going to happen because there is a battle that we're facing. There is a battle that the enemy is waging against the church and he will continue to wage this battle until Jesus returns. But we've got to be careful that we don't get into a victim mentality. That, oh, you know, we poor old Christians, we're just suffering for Jesus. And we also re- need to remember what we're suffering for. We're not suffering for the flag. We're not suffering for the government. We're not suffering for a political party. We're not suffering for a county executive of Nassau or Suffolk County. We're not suffering for a team or an idea. Well, we are suffering if we root for the Giants or the Jets. But we're, we're not suffering for a team or an idea or a set of principles or a belief. Our suffering, our faithfulness to remain in a posture where we are willing to be persecuted is our commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. Right? I think that's the guy should hear an amen over that one. That's, that's, that's all that should matter. You know, it's a big deal if you, get suff- if you suffer persecution because you're a Democrat or you get persecuted because you're a Republican. What difference does that make if you don't get suff- if you don't get persecuted for your faith in Jesus? What difference does that make? Michael, I'll give you one comment. Yeah, you make a really good point. And it's interesting you said that. You know, Michael said that we should wear it as a badge of honor. And actually within the word and in the tense in which the word is written, it actually means this should be a mark on us. Someone should look at us and say, oh, you must be a Christian. How do you know that? There's something about you. And what is it about you? It's that badge of honor. It's that mark that's on you. You are a marked one. That's what it means. Our faithfulness is a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. And we know that the root of persecution lies in the hostility of the human heart towards God. It's a sinful nature that's hostile towards God. And persecution, we know, comes in a couple of different ways. The great Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said it comes either in the form of a hand, where someone strikes us, intimidates us with violence and even death, And persecution can come with the tongue where people revile us and utter all kinds of evil against us. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew, He said, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Flee to the next because we know that that was going to be happening. And as as we mentioned, we bear this mark of persecution. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, as I mentioned at the outset, I think we all realize there's nothing wasted in getting persecuted. I don't know if you realize this or not, but John Bunyan said this, I'm at a point with you, if I were out of prison today, because he'd been put in prison for his faith, I would preach the gospel again tomorrow. 
by the help of God. Those words landed him in prison again, this time for 12 years. Do you know what he wrote when he was in prison for those 12 years? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the greatest works of literature in the history of the world. Wearing that badge of honor, that mark of persecution, resulted in something that's impacted Christians for decades, for centuries. And when we're talking about persecution for the sake of the Gospel, we have two choices that God gives us. Like I said, we can make a choice to not get persecuted. We can just stay quiet. We can just avoid situations where persecution is happening. But sometimes the Lord allows us. He told the disciples, if you get persecuted in one town, go to the next one. So we have to make a determination. Am I supposed to stay in this situation or not? So John Bunyan decided to stay. Sometimes God gives us permission to move on to another place so that we can be more effective in our ministry because we have to get to discern the heart of God to know if we're going to be effective or not. I got so many things going on in my head right now. I'm trying to be careful not to get ahead of myself. Here's an example of what I mean. Moses fled to Midian when he was in trouble with different people, being persecuted. But then when it was time, he stood with the people of God. David escaped when Saul sent his men to kill him, but he stood still when Saul came into the very cave in which he was hiding. Paul escaped when his life was threatened, but then he made a choice to go to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to face death. So we have to be able to hear God and be in tune with what he is saying to us and discern, is this a time to, to, to leave or is this a time to stay and take a stand? And the best way to do that is to apply what someone has called the strength test or the heart test. So when you face, when you face opposition and need to decide if you should stay or you should go, you can discern the best course of action by taking note of your present strength. Do I have the strength to give reason for my faith? Do I have the strength to do it in such a way where I don't get sarcastic and cynical in response? Do I have the ability to speak what I need to speak? So this, this impresses on us the need to be prepared to give reason. Paul, Peter talked about this. He said, be prepared to give reason for the hope that you have. Because the Lord may say, don't leave. The Lord may say, take a stand. And then you take a stand and you have to speak what you believe in and then you're like, I don't know what to say. So the Lord wants us to always be aware and be prepared to have this present strength and an inclination in our heart as you consider the pros and cons of the decision you make, whether you're going to fight or run. If you're persecuted in one place, but you have liberty to move to another place, sometimes it's right to stay, sometimes it's right to go. And the way you know the difference is by judging your present strength and weighing the arguments that are prevailing in your heart. Now, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I'm going to go ahead and say this anyway because this is what I think is applicable. None of us in this room have had to face the kind of persecution that goes on around the world. 
But we certainly have faced persecution over this last um, nine months with this petition of leaving the RCA and joining the Christian Mission Alliance. Uh, when we realized a few years ago that there are churches in the Reformed Church that are not preaching the gospel anymore, we could have just ignored it. As Jay and Jeff and I went to different classes meetings, we could have just put our heads in the sand and pretended like it didn't exist. I mean, Leighton, you came to some of those meetings. Sometimes it would have been easier just to not say a word and just hide. But in the inclination of our heart, in this, in this quiet strength that we had, we realized we had to take a stand. And we were reviled for it. We were persecuted with words. As I shared a few weeks ago at one of the meetings, uh, you know, I was accused of being a promise breaker. My integrity was tested. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back, but just to say that it was a, it's been a form of persecution that we went through in this process because we made a decision. We can't, we can't just stand here or hide our views or our position. We have to make a decision for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that's what we kept doing over this last nine months. We kept going back to the place in terms of answering any questions that came our way when the question was, why are you doing this? It's because we recognize for us to be more effective for the future and more effective for the kingdom of God, to be more effective in spreading the gospel. This is the choice that God has asked us to make. And some of the things that you are doing, folks, are taking the church in a direction that is not biblical. And we can't go that direction anymore. And so we have to be prepared. And I think that as a church, we've gone through that. And so the promise that Jesus gives in the second part of this beatitude is your reward is great in heaven. Now, I don't know how this is all going to work out. I'm not going to read you this whole thing. I just want to talk about how Jonathan Edwards described it. We're all going to receive degrees of rewards in heaven. The problem, if you think about the passages that talk about degrees of rewards, in our finite mindset, that, that, that what that makes me think is, well, if, if Ed has a bigger reward than I have, then I'm going to feel kind of ticked off. You know, if, if Heidi's reward is bigger than mine, it's like, wait, you know, what did she do? I mean, so. And we could compare back and forth. But I think what Jonathan Edwards had a profound idea about all of this is that what happens with our rewards in heaven is that as we're faithful to the Lord and as we are faithful, especially in the face of persecution, our vessel gets increased. Our container of who we are gets increased and our capacity to receive more of the grace of God, more of the mercy of God, more of the wisdom of God, more of the ability to do what we need to do, it increases. And so when we go into heaven, it's going to be like throwing all of these containers into a big, big ocean. And every one of the containers is going to fill to the top to overflowing. It's going to fill to the top to overflowing. And we won't be comparing sizes of rewards. We'll just be going, wow, isn't this amazing? And you'll say, what's amazing? I just feel overflowing with joy. 
Yeah, me too. I feel overflowing with joy too. We won't be comparing comparing how much joy it is because it's going to all feel the same. Because great is our reward in heaven. Jesus didn't parse it out and try to say, "You need to if you do if you are persecuted x amount of times, you'll get x amount of reward." He just said, "Posture yourself and recognize it's going to come." Each of us are going to be filled to the brim with joy. But we have to fight against complacency. John Piper made the statement that America is one of the hardest places in the world to be a Christian. And this is true because of how complacent we can become in our faith. Colin Smith, who wrote a book on the Beatitudes called Momentum, says after he's a he's a Scottish from Scotland. He pastors, I think, in Chicago. He says, after living here for 20 years, I now understand what John Piper was saying. The blessings of freedom lead us to expect a comfortable life, and comfort soon produces lethargy of spirit, which in time leads to fear and cowardice. The idol of comfort must be torn down, and that happens through fasting, giving, serving, and risking, none of which is attractive to Christians whose primary goal is comfort and convenience. Everybody, we have to fight that. We have to fight the complacency that comes from comfort and convenience. And I, for one, like being comfortable and I like things being convenient. But we have to recognize what Jesus said when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I just want to read you a little bit of something. This is from October 2020. And this is what an Iranian Christian said about the prayers that he knew he was receiving on his behalf while he sat in jail in a jail in Iran for his faith. He says, I sense the fragrance of your prayers as a cool breeze on my heart, and it strengthens me from afar. I've got eight pages here. I'm not going to read them all. Of a list of imprisoned Christians in Iran. I counted it up. There's like 50 names. Let me just read a few. Uh, I can't pronounce his name, but since January 20th, 2018, he's been serving a 10-year sentence in even prison for acting against national security through establishment of house churches. He formed small groups. He formed, he formed missional communities, and he's suffering a 10-year sentence. That never even has entered my mind, everybody. I've never had to entertain that possibility ever in my life. In fact, contrary to that, I've actually complained. Oh, man, is it small group night? And this brother would love to be able to have a small group. Christian convert who's been in even prison since November 17, 2017, serving a two-year sentence for membership of an evangelical group in conducting evangelism. That means if we were there, we would all be with him because we would believe the same thing. 
Here's another brother serving a six-year sentence since July 2018. He additionally faces two years of exile in a remote part of Iran on the completion of his prison term. A leader within the Church of Iran, a denomination with an unconventional understanding of the Trinity, he was sentenced to death for apostasy in 2010, but was acquitted and released after a public outcry. Here's one serving a six-year prison sentence. Uh, Here's another one who began serving a 10-year prison sentence. On and on it goes. That's why Jesus taught later in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, dear God, we would all pray that we don't have to face that kind of persecution in this country. But it could happen. It could happen. And so we need to be prepared. I mean, the practical value of persecution is it strengthens our resolve. It makes us more determined than ever because we decide, like the old chorus says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. When you get under persecution like these brothers and sisters, you have to have pretty strong resolve. Don't you agree? It clarifies our mission. It causes us to to depend completely on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. I think that's what's ingenious about what Jesus said. Because it puts us back to the place that God, I can't do this without your help. So let me finish this morning with a story. It says, several years ago, I sat in the home of a dynamic young Christian leader in a country where Christians were severely persecuted. His telephone was hidden under one of the cushions of his couch because he believed it was bugs. Although he had been interrogated by the secret police several times, he remained faithful to the Lord. The man said to me, when I lose the sense of being in a battle, I become apathetic. I must live with a keen realization that I am in a battle for the souls of men. As I listen to him, I realize that most Christians in the West do not even realize that there is a battle. The church must be aroused from her slumber. We must be awakened and put on our battle gear. We must move out like a mighty army for the glory of God. There are nations to be conquered, hearts to be won, and souls to be claimed. We must put on our fighting gear in the secret chamber of prayer. It is there that we receive our marching orders. And so I want us to receive our marching orders afresh and once again. And I'd like you to stand And I want to read the prayer that was at the end of this story over all of us. None of us wants to be persecuted. None of us wants to be reviled for our faith. But I believe all of us us want to be prepared in the event that it happens. Amen? And so, as we bow our heads, let me pray this prayer. We pray to you, powerful King Jesus. We are so often unaware that we are in a battle with the enemy. How forgetful we get when over and over again in your word you tell us to watch. Forgive us for being so unprepared to wage war with the enemy who would steal the souls of lost people and who desperately need Jesus. Lord, I just even right now want to pray as I pray for us 
I pray for churches that are part of the Reformed Church of America that have become apostate and are preaching heresy and have drifted away from the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to wake up. Don't allow us to miss the opportunities to pray for those who can be so easily swayed by the seduction of the world rather than the salvation that's ours in Jesus Christ. Wake us up and awaken the church, your church, so so that we might be a mighty army for the sake of your name. Help us to listen to your voice in the secret place of prayer so that we will be prepared to put on our armor and to use the sword of your word to overcome the evil one. In the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen.